Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. We're looking at Deuteronomy's Deuteronomy, singular, chapters 3 and 4, and we learn that, uh, actually the title from Deuteronomy comes from the Septuagint, who gave this book, this title, Deuteronomy, from the Greek Septuagint, which means the second law, technically not the second law. It is, though, a rehearsing of the law that God gave through Moses to the children of Israel. But now Moses is preparing the second generation of Israel to enter into the promised land. And so it's not a second law, but a rehearsing of their history and a preparation uh, for the second generation who came out of Egypt as they prepared to enter into the promised land. So the Hebrew title is taken from the first two words in Hebrew, that is translated for us in Deuteronomy 1, verse 1, and the opening phrase, these are the words. So that's the Hebrew title, these are the words. And it goes on to say, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. So while they were still in the wilderness, Moses in chapters 1 through 3, for a large part, giving a, a history lesson to the children of Israel. And really, much of it is, some of it, is the bad things that took place while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, why they stayed for 40 years in the wilderness, and the troubles that their parents had caused, and also the things that God did by providing for them during the wilderness, taking care of all their needs, uh, giving them water, giving them manna, giving them food, allowing their clothing, their sandals not to wear out during the 40 years. All these things Moses uh, tells the children of Israel. And I think about that. Moses begins the book of Deuteronomy with a history lesson. And we live in a society now that would like to erase our history and the history of much of the world, the history here in the United States, rewrite a bit of the history And we are to learn from history. And so Moses here in chapters 1 through 3, giving really a history lesson of the past 40 years of the children of Israel. He relates the history of their parents who refused to enter into the promised land. Uh, By the time they were willing to go, God said, no, it's too late. I've already judged this situation and you are going to die in this wilderness and your children whom you protested and said you wanted to protect, they're the ones who are going to enter in to the promised land. And so Moses is trying to now encourage the current generation to not make the same mistakes, the same sins of the past generation. And I fear that we have lost that in our society today as our church at large... (laughs) When I say our church at large, I'm talking about the churches here in the United States, many of them who don't no longer walk in the ways of God. Many don't even believe that this is truly the word of God and they no longer teach the next generation how they should conduct themselves as the children of God, largely because this present generation has failed in being that living testimony, that living witness to the next generation. But here in chapter 3, as we pick up, I pulled verse 22 as a key verse where Moses said, You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. So a reminder right from the get-go to the second generation, God fights for you. And something that we should remember as well. So he continues to encourage the current generation of Israel. 
as he prepares them to go into the promised land. He reminds them of the battles that they had already faced, already been victorious. And he begins with the king of Bashan in verses 1 through 11. It says, Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrai. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hands. You shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. Verse 4. And we took all his cities at that time, and there was not a city which we did not take from them, sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og, of Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, Besides the great many rural towns, we utterly destroyed them as we did with Sion, king of the Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, children of every city. But all the livestock, the spoil of the cities, we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The... Sidians called Mount Siron, and the Amorites called Sinir. All the plains, all the cities of the plains, all Gilead, all Bashan, as far as Salca and Edrai, and the cities of the Og of Bashan. So unlike the descendants of Esau and Lot, which we learned about last week in chapter 2, God instructed Moses and the children of Israel, you cannot attack the descendants of Esau and Lot because I have given them the land. In fact, he used the example of the Edomites and uh, the descendants of Lot as well. He used the example, their example of God telling them that they went and took a land that was not their own, just like God was uh, requiring Israel to do at this time, to go into the promised land, that I had given the descendants of Esau and Lot, all tying back to Abraham, their land, you're not to touch them, but this should be an encouragement to you because I had done this with nations before, not in the same way that he deals with Israel, for God dealt a special way with the nation of Israel. But these were on the fringe in the sense they were distant relatives of Israel, descendants of Abraham and Lot, Abraham's nephew. And God even allowed them to have a place in the land. And so Israel was not to touch these two nations. But as far as Og, the king of Bashan, and Sion, the king of the Amorites, there, there they were victorious. And God delivered them. In fact, these battles of deliverance was something that Israel would refer to over and over again. Sion, the king of the Amorites mentioned 37 times in the Bible. Og mentioned 22 times. We find one of those mentions in Psalm 135, 10 through 12, where it said, He, meaning God, defeated many nations and slew mighty kings. Sion, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their lands as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. And so we read these names, and they may not speak to us per se. And they're just names that appear in the Bible, and they come from an ancient part of the Bible. All the Bible, of course, is uh, 2,000 plus years old. So it's all ancient to us in that sense. But for Israel, these two kings that they defeated, and uh, Sion and Og, we discover Og himself was from the remnant of the giants, verse 11. This was a great conquering. In fact, what we read 
at the beginning of chapter 3, he said all the cities were high walls with gates, with bars. And so these, plus their towns and villages. And so this was a great victory. In verse 11, it says, For Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnants of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? Nine cubits in its length, four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. And so you read through uh, the commentaries on this. Some of the theologians, they talk about this bed as a trophy or a, a prize. But many believe that they weren't talking about the bed that he had in his bedroom. No doubt if he was of the remnant of the giants, he would have had a big bed. Many believe that it's actually referring to his coffin, which had would have measured, and we take it from the cubics to our measurement today, it would measure uh, some 13 to 14 feet long and some 6 feet wide. And so his coffin, the bedstead, his coffin, taken in battle, ended up as a trophy in Rabath, Rabath and there... Um, it was on display. So it was written about Moses making comment of that. And then he goes on to mention in verses 12 through 22, we're going to do a bit of reading here tonight, of the two and a half tribes in the land that they possessed on the east side of the Jordan River. And this is the land which we possessed at that time from Ario, which is on the river of Arnon and half the mountain of Gilead and its cities. I have given to the Reubenites and the Gadites, the rest of the Gilead all of, and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I have given to half tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob with all Bashan was called in the land of giants. Uh, Jair, the son of Manasseh, took the region of Argob as far as the border of the Gersherites, and the, I can't even say that name, I'm going to skip it, but called Bashan after its own name. Bashan, I got used to that one. Also, I've given Gilead to Malchir and to the Reubenites and to the Gadites. I have given Gilead as far as the river Arnon in the middle of the river as a border as far as the river of Jabuk, the border of the people of Ammon, and the plain also and the Jordan as a border from Shinrith, and the east side of the Sea of Arba, the Salt Sea, and the slopes of Pisgah. Then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over, armed before your brethren, the children of Israel, but your wives, your little ones, your livestock. I know that you have much livestock shall stay in your cities, which I have given you, until the Lord has given the rest of your brethren as to you, and they possess the land that the Lord your God has given beyond the Jordan, then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms for which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. So the already conquered territory, we've went over this, but the two and a half tribes, that of Reuben and Gad and a half tribe of Manasseh, they decided that they would take the territory that was outside the promised land proper. But they also pledged, and here we read about the commitment of that pledge, but they pledged to Moses that if... God allowed them to take the land that they would go before their brethren, that they would fight with Israel until the other nine and a half tribes possessed their portion of the promised land. Only then would they return. And so Moses gave them this permission, allowed them to build up the cities to make um, barns and uh, corrals for their livestock and then the men would go to battle. We'll read about the men going to battle in the book of Joshua. But here, rehearsing some of the history that's already taken place. But also, 
Moses now specifically talking to Joshua. He's saying, you've already been victorious with the children of Israel, already been victorious of Og, king of Bashan, and Sion, king of Heshbon. And don't fear the people of the land, the kings of the land, because your Lord, your God, fights for you. And that's something that I think we need to remember to this day, that God fights for us. I think sometimes we may walk in fear because we neglect to remember that if God is for us, who could possibly be against us? And so Moses, we continue in verse 23. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness, your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. Verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more of, to me of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah. Lift up your eyes toward the west and north, the south, the east. Behold it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people. He shall cause them to inherit the land which you see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. And so here we find Moses. He's already knew the judgment of God upon him. When uh, the people were thirsting for a second time, they were there at the rock. And the Lord commanded them to speak to the rock and the water would flow forth. And Moses and Aaron instead, uh, they yelled at Israel, how long do we have to put up with you guys? And took the rod of God and struck the rock twice. And because of that, even though God allowed the water to pour out to give drink to the people, Moses and Aaron would not be allowed to enter into the promised land. Moses had already went on to be with his people. But now Moses, awaiting his time, he pleads with the Lord. He wanted to enter the good land. He's been hearing about this from probably his whole life, of that which the time he spent as a child uh, before he became the official adopted son of the um, princess of Egypt. No doubt his parents raised him up as much time as they had, which was really a short time until he was winged, but maybe up to three years old. They they taught him of the Lord their God. And then for the last 80 years, he's been walking with the Lord. He knew the promises of the Lord to Abraham. In fact, He's the one that wrote them all down for us from Genesis to the book of Deuteronomy. And he wanted to see the land, the pleasant mountains, the good land, he called it. But the Lord finally said enough of that. Speak no more of me with this matter. I think sometimes the Lord just like, all right, that's it. It reminded me as I was reading that of Paul when he talked about a thorn that he had in his side and he went to the Lord three times about this condition and we don't know what that thorn was. But finally the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes we may pray and the Lord will say, enough of that. The Lord will say, my grace is sufficient for you. For you, no, you're not going to get to go into the promised land, but I'll let you see it. Maybe for us, it'll be a different situation where um, we just have to rest and trust in the Lord, even though perhaps it's not the outcome that we would desire. And he did allow Moses to see the promised land. But it was Moses' job at this time to encourage the people, especially Joshua, second mention of Joshua tonight in this passage, that 
you don't get to go into the land, but command Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him. He's the one that's going to go in and enter into the promised land. And I think sometimes the Lord may hold us back and perhaps what we feel the Lord would have us do in ministry. Maybe our heart's desire is a little larger than what we currently are experiencing. And perhaps our duty is to be in preparation of the next generation that we are to lead that next generation, encourage them, teach them how they are to occupy this land that the Lord is giving them. And, you know, um, I think a bit more about that. Uh, Lily and I, we are her birthday today. Mine will be coming up later this year, but we're the same age. And uh, I can tell you there's uh, a lot more years behind me than in front of me. And so for the first time in the last several years, a lot of my friends retiring, uh, they're going off and, and moving and getting that retirement place. And I'm thinking, well, what am I supposed to, supposed to do? It's a whole different mindset. And the thing that keeps coming back over and over to me is that my job right now is to help prepare the next generation of worshipers to walk in fellowship with the Lord. And so that's what I want to be about. How many days the Lord has for me, I do not know. But we're to be about the Lord's business, helping others who are coming up behind us to encourage them that they might take the land Take the opportunity that the Lord God has set before them. All right, I'm just having a rough time up here because I think my notes had just ended and I did not intend them to end. Let's see if I can try it one more time. I, I usually don't pause out in the middle of a message, but let's see what we got. Pretty sure I did this right today, but it seems like it's not working out for me. Here we go. I got it there, so let me try it here. Hmm. Okay. We'll take it this way. Fortunately, I have uh, I save it in two different files, so this is a little far smaller for me to read, but it'll work. Chapter four. <laughs> so our wisdom and understanding. Chapter four is really um, as we've been going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, now Deuteronomy. I, I've often picked like a key verse in each of these chapters, but. Deuteronomy chapter 4 has a number of key verses. And so we're going to highlight those verses as we go through it. But really now there's a transition. The rehearsing of the past 40 years and even some of the victorious battles that this current generation of Israel had already experienced, Moses now is going to begin to teach the children of Israel how they should conduct themselves to prepare them to go in and possess the land. And so this is really chapter 4, really a rich chapter. We come back when I get back on vacation. We pick up our study again, chapters 5 and 6, some very key verses for us. Chapter 5, a rehearsing of the Ten Commandments and the law actually from chapters 5 through 26, kind of rehearsing the laws of God, but the Ten Commandments given to us for a second time in chapter 5 and chapter 6, the importance of training up a child and teaching our children, that next generation. But here he begins about the importance of not adding to or taking away from the Word of God in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God 
of your fathers is given you, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eye have seen what the Lord did to Baal at Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor, but you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. And so their parents had been judged. Baal of Peor was when the uh, Midianites came down, uh, the women of Moab. Uh, They seduced the men of Israel, and uh, it was a very sensual and sexual uh, event at that place. They were rebelling against the Lord. I was thinking about this today, and originally um, I had written their parents, and the way this is read out, it wasn't the parents, it was the men, it was their fathers. I don't know what the wives thought about this, but it wasn't a good situation. And there in that rebellion, uh, all the leaders of the rebellion were hung on trees while God sent a plague that took about 24,000 people, took their lives, died, and Moses reminds many of them of this event. Not all of them had seen this. Remember that we're covering a 40-year, 40-plus year uh, period of time where the first generation, all the parents from 21 years old and up are dying off in the wilderness. You have those who are 20 years old and under uh, remaining alive, but now those who are 20 are now 60 those who are 10 or 50, and those, there are many who had been born during that time. So there were many who had seen these events, some who had only heard about these events. But the warning here, don't add to, don't take away from the word of God. These are the words that I commanded you. We live in a generation that is wanting to add to, wanting to take away from the word of God. <laughs> We have for, uh, since the beginning of this year, our wizard uh, video guy, Bob, has been doing 40-second spots of our, my Sunday morning message, uh, posting them as a reel on social media pages. And, and we're getting a lot of people viewing that, uh, more people viewing it than uh, we've had in any other outlet that we've used, but also um, people making comments. Uh, Last week I was reading from a gal from Ireland, a gal from Pakistan. Uh, We've had from the Philistines, from India, um, here in the United States as well. And so it's given us a lot of positive attention, but also negative attention as well. And a, a couple of those comments has been about kind of like, don't they know, kind of like this senseless person, because it's my voice always on these, whether you see my face or not, it's always my voice on these reels, and as if I'm an idiot for still believing in the Bible, the Word of God, that this is a proven book from their perspective that isn't real, uh, there is no God, and it's non-proven. Several years ago, I was doing jury duty, and uh, when you go to the courthouse here in Lake County, Illinois, a lot of times, uh, as was this, well, actually, I did uh, end up in a trial that week, but the first couple of days, no, you just kind of hang around for a week. In the first couple of days, I just brought my computer, and I did work and waited to see if I was going to be called for any kind of jury duty. And while I was there, I struck up a conversation with a student who was going to a Christian, Dutch Reformed Christian College in Michigan. And at that time, and I don't know how the debate ended up, but at that time, he said that they were battling over at their Dutch Reformed Christian College, battling over the issue of homosexuality. And I wrote this down in my notes from that time that I had Uh, sat with him, this student said they might as well give up because 
Michigan is a very democratic state. Now, in hindsight, over the last couple of elections and what we see saw Michigan do over COVID and stuff, yes, we now understand that Michigan is a very democratic state. But this was a few years ago. It was so impactful for me that I wrote down the incident. And so I wrote this down when it was fresh. And this is what I wrote down, my response to that student that day. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. And he said, we might as well give up. And I said, we must stand upon the word, even though the world may disagree with us. And even if they have to shut down the church or a college or even go underground, then we must hold fast to the word of God. And the Lord here said, don't add to it. Don't take it away. And we live in a world that wants to add to and take away from the word of God. We've been called, and this reminded me today of uh, that word from Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith, repeated three times in the New Testament, in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38, the just shall live by faith. Faith has always been the pathway of walking in obedience to God. So Israel, they were not to add to or take away from the word of God, but to walk in the commandments of the Lord and in walking in the commandments of the Lord, they would do so by faith. The path of Israel is to walk in faith, just like the path of Christians today. We are to walk in faith. Let us hold fast, Hebrews 10:23, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who is promised is faithful. So we're called to hold fast. In 5 through 10, we find Moses continuing on. Surely I've taught you the statutes, the judgments. As the Lord God, the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes. And say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it? As the Lord your God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all the law which I've set before you this day, verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren, verse 10, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said, to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. So Israel, they were not to be like the Egyptians, that they had spent 400 years in bondage, and they'd come out of the land of Egypt. They were not to be or walk like the Canaanites, in whose land they were about to possess but they were to keep the statutes, the judgments, the commandments of the Lord their God. They were to guard their hearts. And verse 9 is a key verse here. Take heed to yourself. Diligently keep yourself. Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Lest they depart from your heart. And we've seen this over the last few years with uh, our nation shutting down its churches, that I believe that people have not taken heed to themselves. They, because of fear, for whatever reason, an excuse to get out of church, I can't say exactly for every situation, but because the church is closed, people got out of the habit And they no longer diligently kept the things of God in their heart, the things that they had experienced, the things that they had seen, which caused them, again, verse 9, which caused faith to depart from their hearts. 
And yet we are to keep these things all the days of our lives. We're to teach them to our children and our grandchildren. And me, being a grandfather of five, this is something that um, I desire to do. And to be an example of faith for my grandsons, for my granddaughters. And to live faith before them, also for my children as well, of course. Psalm 119 98 through 100 says, You, through your commandments, make me wise, wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Again, people look at this word and they think, this is just a compilation of a bunch of human authors And some say that it doesn't even agree upon each other. But this is our wisdom. This is our foundation upon which we can build our lives. And we are to teach these things to our children. So he says, 11 through 14, Then you came near to me. You stood at the foot of the mountain there at Mount Horeb. The mountain burned with fire in the midst of heaven, with darkness, a cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. And so again, reminding that second generation when they were younger, they were kids, 20 years old and under, but they stood at that mountain. They had heard the voice of God and they were commanded to walk in the commandments, the statutes, the judgments of God. Their parents had failed to do this, but they were not to fail in these commandments. They were walk to walk in this way. They were to teach them to their children. And yet Israel would ultimately fail to be that light to the Gentiles that the Lord had called them to be. And quite often the church fails in this as well. But we have been called in Acts 13:47, I've set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for the salvation to the ends of the earth, that people should see our example This book is our wisdom, but it's our faith that brings us into salvation with Jesus Christ. And we are to walk in the ways of Christ, be an example to others in this world, in the land that the Lord has put us in. So 15 through 24, take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form of the Lord when he spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly, make for yourself a carved image any form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal on this earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. Take heed, lest you lift your eyes up to the heaven, and you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the host of them, and you feel driven to worship them, to serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you, brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, verse 21 The Lord was angry with me for your sake, swore that I would not cross over the Jordan, that I would not enter the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. But I must die on this side of the land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over, possess that good land. Take heed to yourself. For a second time, he uses those words. Take heed to yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He has made with you and make yourself a carved image in the form of anything of which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So verse 24, a very key verse. It'll be repeated in scripture as well. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. But for Israel, uh, this is the second commandment. 
You shall not, Exodus 20, verse 4, make for yourself any carved image, any likeness of anything in heaven above that is on the earth beneath and the water under the earth. And so here he went into detail to talk about no carved image of any male, female, any animal, any winged bird, any fish, the sun, the moon, the stars. And yet we find that we live in a world where images are made. And people worship a variety of things. And I I like how he worded this because it seems true because there is the deceptive spirit of the Antichrist in our world today. He said in verse 19, you look up to the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them. But they're driven with a false spirit, not the true spirit of God. So the believers were to fear God. It speaks about our reverential fear of the Lord, and this should not be taken lightly. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So the author of Hebrews picked up from Deuteronomy 4:24 to repeat it again in Hebrews 12:29 our God is a consuming fire. In verses 25 through 31 when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make carved images and form in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger I will call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples or among the nations. You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve other gods and work the work of the men's hands, wood, stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God. So another key verse, verse 29. From there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 30 and 31. When you are in distress and these things come upon you in the latter days, Then you shall turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For I, the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. So this reads as if this was going to happen suddenly. They would enter into the promised land. They would grow old. They'd have children and grandchildren. They would forget the Lord their God. He'd drive them out of the land. But in reality... uh, It kind of works out to about 814 years later. We think of the um, judges and the 12 judges that are named for us in the book of Judges. We think of Joshua and the time that he spent there in the promised land from probably about 85 years old for Joshua, who died at 110 years old. And so we have this period of time from uh, not only the judges in the book of Judges, but first and second Samuel, we have Uh, the judges of Eli, the high priest, and Samuel, who became a judge, and then from the kings. So all together, we talk about them entering into the promised land, probably about 1400 B.C., until they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, about 814 years later, in 586 B.C., But this is the history of Israel. They did fall away. They did worship other gods. They neglected to take heed of themselves. And God dispersed them throughout the peoples, the nations. But when they cried out to him in their distress, he brought them home again. And so, 32 through 40. For ask... Now, concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day God created man on the earth, ask from one end of heaven to another, 
whether any great thing like this has ever happened or anything like it had ever been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking in the midst of fire as you have heard or, and live? Did any God ever try to go and take for himself a nation in the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm, by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know the Lord himself is God. And there is no other besides him. Again, verse 35, another key uh, principle in scripture that the Lord himself is God. There is no other beside him out of the heavens. He lets you hear his voice that he might instruct you on the earth. He showed you his great fire. You heard the words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with a mighty power, driving out from before you the nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you a land as an inheritance as it is to this day. Therefore, know this day and consider in your heart that the Lord himself is God in the heaven and on earth beneath. There is no other. Very similar to verse 35, that the Lord himself is God. There is no other beside him. Here in verse 39, there is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes, his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you in the land and your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God has given you at this time. So once again, calling them to remember, but also to pass on this information to the next generation. They were to keep these commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he who, has, he who has my commandments keeps them. It is he who loves me, and he who is loved loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. As believers in Jesus Christ, we believe that there is one God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who has uh, been displayed to us in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to walk in his ways. And through faith, we are to live and pass on these things to our children after us. So the chapter closes out with um, speaking about the cities of refuge. We learned about these in Numbers chapter 36. But they were to be six cities of refuge in the promised land. Now, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh set up on the east side of the Jordan River. Therefore, they got three of the cities of refuge, which is described here in verses 41 through 43. Then Moses was set apart three cities on the, this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there. He who kills a neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in times past, that he may flee to the one of these cities, that he might live. And so there he names the cities of refuge in the promised land. The only one that I am familiar with that really plays out in Scripture is Ramoth of Gilead for the Gadites. And so each of the tribes had a city of refuge. There would only be three cities of refuge for the nine and a half tribes on the uh, west side of the Jordan River. But... Here he names the three cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan River for the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And, and verses 44 through 49 is basically setting us up for chapters 5 through 26. This really felt like a bad chapter break for me. He's moving on to talk about the law. He's been talking about it, the statutes and the judgments. But from chapters 5 through 26... He's going to begin rehearsing the law to the second generation. So it reads, as we close out, picking up in verse 44, Now this is the law which Moses set before you, the children of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments, which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt. On this side of the Jordan, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, 
in the land of Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of the land, the land of Og, the king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from Arior, and this land, the river of Arnon, and the mountain of Zion, that is Hermon, and all the plains of the east of Jordan as far as the sea of Arba, which is the slope of Pisgah. And so really um, beginning to set up what's coming up in the next chapters, a rehearsing of the testimony, the statutes, the judgments, the commandments of God. So I titled this message, Take Heed, Keep, and Teach. And this was the warning we've seen a couple of times going throughout here, that they were to take heed of themselves, to be diligent, to keep the word of God, but also to teach them, pass them on to their children and their grandchildren. God said that it might go well for you. This is our wisdom, the word said. And it should be such. They were to be an example, a testimony to the nations around them. We have been called to be such an example in the day and age that we live in as well. And so, Father, let it be our wisdom. Help us, Lord, to be diligent to keep these things, that we would take heed to ourselves, that we would strive to walk in your word, but also to teach these things to our children. And we know, Lord, that uh, we are not saved by the works of the law, but by grace we have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to pass on that faith to our children, to our grandchildren, that they too would come to that point in their life where they call upon you, Lord Jesus, in life-saving faith. Let us be such examples, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.